today's sermon in our selfish versus soul-filled sermon series is at the edge of despair when we see the enemy, but not God. When we see the enemy, but not God. When we're at the edge of despair, and we've talked about relationships, we've talked about love, sex, romance, we've talked about faith, we've talked about key issues of worship. And in all these things, it's easy to see, well, okay, you can move selfishly, or you can move in the other direction towards being soul-filled. But you might say, well, what does being at the edge of despair have to do with being selfish or soul-filled? And the answer is everything, everything. So as we turn to this issue, uh, I invite you to follow along in the sermon notes, which will guide you through the sermon, and you can take notes and remember and add some of the things that either I mention or that, more importantly, God is saying to you and reminding of you as we move through the message today. We're going to begin with Psalm 13. This is one of the number of psalms of what would be called psalms of lament of David uh, in the psalms and particularly focused in book one of the psalms, which really tracks through the life of David in various ways from various dimensions. So Psalm 13, this is the famous, How Long, O Lord, Lament Psalm of David. Hear now God's word to the choir master, a Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken, because I've slipped and fallen. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, in your covenant loyalty, in your chesed, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, to Yahweh, because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So at the edge of despair, we really have a big choice. Everyone does. Uh, this is granting, if you're willing to grant, that you would ever come to an edge of despair. 
Some of us perhaps are always chipper, never have any challenges, never have any problems. But for the rest of us in the room, for the rest of us watching online, perhaps we have been to the edge of despair. Perhaps we even find ourselves pretty close there in this season. Certainly, uh, although I was already planning to preach on this passage as part of this series, it really struck me over the last couple of weeks, well, man, given what's going on in Ukraine and elsewhere in the world, not to mention our own nation, there are certainly reasons that some of us could be leaning in the direction of despair and desperation, right? And then the question is, what are we going to do with that? And the reason I wrote the title as I did is to give you the pictorial of being at the edge of despair. If I am at the edge of despair, if I'm at the edge um, of a crevasse, of a pit, I better be careful about how I react, right? If I'm, <laughs> if I'm in a precarious situation, it really makes a difference to whom I listen and what direction I move. Now, over at the edge of despair, we can be selfish. You could say, well, why are you talking about being selfish? We can be very selfish in times of being distraught or disturbed. You ever been around a nasty person when they're upset about things? I mean, it, it just does not go well. Verbally, it can be pretty rough and very selfish. I don't care what I say to you. I'm desperate or I'm despondent, so I'm going to lash out and hurt you. That is a very selfish move. You don't have to be an adult to figure that one out. Young children can understand and discern that as well. Uh, physical lashing out, physical desperation. Uh, this is sometimes why entire nations, speaking of war, go to war at the edge of despair. We have nothing to lose. Let's go ahead and try to take out our neighbor. And we can sometimes turn that in on ourselves. God help you and God be with you and may you know his steadfast love. If right now with us in worship or watching online, you're in a season of depression leading in the direction of suicidal thoughts, emotions, and response. God loves you and I want you to hear this message. God will provide healing. God will bring you through this. Turn to him. But let me just say, as to the scripture and as to God's guidance for all of us, the suicide move is an ultimate selfish move. It's not an heroic move. It's not a spirit-led move that is moving away from God. So whether we turn our destructive response to being distraught on others or ourselves, it's not a soul-filled move. So I want to invite all of us to be prepared for, or perhaps to deal right now, depending on where you are, with being at the edge of despair, to move in the soul-filled move, to move to God. To be, as I say in the main line for the first segment of this sermon, to be honest with God and honest with yourself when you're at the edge of despair. Be honest with God and honest with yourself. 
when you really are seeing the enemy and maybe not seeing much of God lately. See, honest soul care includes turning to God with our distress and with our questions. You could say, well, I don't want to bother God with that. He's your father in heaven. You could say, well, I don't want him to know that I'm questioning him, so I'm going to hide it from him. He's God. He already knows it. Turn to him. You're not hiding anything from him. That's a direct disobedience to not bring it to him. It's, if you've got questions, it's, it's, it's disobedient to try to hide them from God. It's obedience as a child of God to turn to him with the questions. This is honest soul care we're talking about here. Turning to God with our distress and with our questions. And parents, when we're guiding our children, no, honey, you can't ask that question. No, 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 ask the question. Allow them, teach them to ask the question to you and to God instead of suppressing and turning them to other answers. Well, I guess I can't talk to my parents or God about this. I better go on the internet. No, no, no. Open up the dialogue. This is not selfish. This is moving in the soul-filled direction. And we learned this for so many folks um, who teach us that God inspired to teach us from the scriptures, but certainly at the head of the list or towards the head of the list in the Old Testament is the great psalmist, king, leader, prophet, David. David, who was the man after God's own heart. That's how God described David to Samuel. I've chosen a man after my own heart, and it turns out to be young David. David continues, even with his foibles and falls, David continues throughout his life to be the man after God's own heart, and he teaches us to be honest with God, both at the mountaintop and in the darkest valley. That's what David teaches us. Be honest with God. Yes, David was a valiant warrior and leader. Yes, preach about that, Martin. That makes me feel good. Yes, David was a passionate worshiper. Yes, preach about that. Preach about that. That's positive. But also, let me understand and let us all understand that it's very positive that David also knew how to deal with his dark times and dark nights of his soul. And we need to applaud that too and follow the inspiration that God gives us through David. And let me explain this to us. The Son of God, the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity who ultimately came to us as Jesus, the Son of God inspired all of these laments and ultimately in the flesh, lived and fulfilled them, okay? All this is going on in book one of the Psalter, all this centering on David and his ups and downs and his trials and triumphs, it's ultimately pointing us prophetically to Jesus and Jesus lives it out. Give you one example from David's laments that's of course most famous from book one of the Psalter, right there in the middle of book one of the Psalter. It's right next to a psalm called Psalm 23, and that's not by accident. Psalm 22. What's the psalm that Jesus leads with on the cross quoting? What's the first thing he quotes? 
Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you don't know any other lament psalm in the, in the entire scripture, you probably know that one, right? And that's what Jesus cries out. Because David was honest with God, and Jesus lives and fulfills that honesty before the Father in the midst of the God-forsakenness he is encountering, taking our sin upon himself on the cross. David's laments, affirmed and fulfilled by Jesus, teach us how to pray and how to trust God in the bad times. If you don't know how to pray in the bad times, you've missed out on central gifts that God wants to give you and guidance he wants to give you. So that's a big picture. Now let's move to the second part where we'll dig in with the scripture here. At the edge of despair, follow the Psalm 13 prayer. From desolation to delight. I have that from desolation to delight in quotes in your notes for you because I hit that later after I'd pretty much done the sermon notes. But Derek Kidner, one of my favorite commentators from the 20th century, he's with the Lord now, but Kidner wrote that description on what's going on with this psalm to move from desolation through supplication to ultimately to delight. So uh, let's break out this psalm and learn from it how to pray and how to respond to hard times. The first two verses give us part one of a three-part movement in this psalm. There's, there's three verses, basically, or three um, larger segments to this psalm. Verses one and two, soul cry questions and confessions of distress. Okay, remember, the beginning of this is we need to be honest with God. Okay, so if we are at the stage where we're willing to be honest with God, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, part one, verses one and two in Psalm 13, gives us soul cry questions and confessions of distress. I'm willing to confess to God that I'm distressed and I'm gonna cry out to him. It's okay to cry out to God. Jesus himself did it. You can do this if you're following Jesus. Soul cry questions to God. Of course, we're on this emphasis on the soul, so there it is. Soul cry questions and confessions of distress. Bring your questioning of God to God. Let me repeat that. Bring your questioning of God to God. Not to the guy at the gas station, not to the guy sitting at you uh, by the baseball game this afternoon. Bring your questions of God to God. Now, verse, verses 1 and 2, the famous fourfold, this is one of the famous passages from the scripture, uh, the, the fourfold, how long? How long? We got four of these. How long will you forget me? That's one level of concern. How long will you forget me? Now, does David think that God has gone senile? No, of course not. What he's saying is, you used to, like, really help me, and it's not happening. Have you, what's happening there? How long will you forget me? And then secondly, this intensifies, how long will you hide your face from me? Now you have to remember in the Hebrew and in the Bible, face, if God's face is turned towards you, that means he's blessing you. If his face is turned away from you, you're no longer under his blessing perhaps, and he's definitely not intervening for you. 
the, the great ironic blessing, which I'll say at the end of this service, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. That means he's looking at you. He's blessing you, okay? How long will you hide your face from me? I can't even get to you. I can't get to your blessing. How long must I place my plans before my own soul? That's the literal Hebrew here. In other words, I'm having to figure this out on my own. Okay, I'm not hearing from you. You're silent. I keep praying about this and I'm getting no answer. That's what David's, David's saying here. How long must I place my plans before my own soul? In other words, without a word from you. And uh, one of many examples of this with David is, and he makes some independent moves when, he, when he's not hearing from God. A classic example would be when Saul is after David unrelenting. Saul is unrelenting. He's trying to kill David. At uh, 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. In other words, this isn't stopping. God hasn't answered my prayers to like stop and heal Saul and get this over with. Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Now understand the Philistines are the Israelites' enemies. David is going to go over and hire himself out as a mercenary to the Philistines at Gath. Okay? which is, by the way, Goliath's hometown, okay? That's one of the five cities of the major cities of the Philistines. He's going to go over there. There is nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel. I shall escape out of his hand. Is this a good plan? Is this a godly plan? We're not told that God inspired this. Of David. <laughs> David just comes up with this. I'm going to hire myself out as a mercenary to the Philistines and escape Saul. That's an example. Look, I haven't heard from you. When you're not hearing from God, keep patiently waiting and listening. Anyway, then uh, fourthly, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? I'll come back to that enemy. I've already introduced Saul to you. We'll come back to that. David questions God, though, here. And this is, you really have to understand this. When you pray to God, go to all the dimensions. He asks God and questions God about all three major dimensions of his distress. And here are the dimensions. Number one, and this is the most important, David is distressed about God. He's worried about his relationship with God. Number two, David has distress about his inner soul because he knows that he is wandering, okay? And he's worried about the state of his soul because remember, ultimately in life and in death, your soul is what matters. Okay? It's not stuff, it's your soul. He's worried about his soul, his heart and soul, his inner self, his inner self. And then thirdly, he's distressed over the external facts and his enemy. Now you might say, why isn't three, one? It's because David has spiritual sense. He knows that the issue with God is the big issue. Okay? We're going to get to the enemies and the external circumstances, but it's not because things aren't working out at my job, because I can't have a child, because this or that. It's not the external thing first. The first thing is God. But then he does get to the external circumstances and um, the veracity um, of, of what's going on and the ferocity of his enemy. So let's, a few more notes on this. First, God, is God absent? Is God remembering me anymore? Is God gonna answer me? When's he gonna answer? 
will, will he turn his face to me again? He used to love me. Does he not love me anymore? This is ultimately the question. Secondly, his, David's inner soul, his inner self, his soul and his heart. He's sorrowful. He's feeling abandoned. He's fearful of the valley of death. And David's willing to deal with this. He's willing to pray about this. You could say, well, we should never talk about fear in the valley of death. Well, you strip that out of Psalm 23 and you just missed a key part of it, right? David's honest about being in the valley of the shadow of death and he's willing to talk to God about it. Okay? And then third, the external circumstances, the enemy's enmity, success, and threats. It's not just that this guy hates me, whoever the enemy is. It's that he's winning. He's winning. He's taking over the world and about to kill me. Okay, so, and then David's also concerned about his foes more generally. Those are two different Hebrew terms here. Um, let's talk about this. Book one talks about my foes quite a bit, and there's, there can be clusters of foes, but at the middle, at right, you know, front and center will be the enemy. David, at different times in his life, is talking about different my enemy who hates me. But they all pretty much flow together, and ultimately they point us prophetically to the life of Jesus. So here are some of David's like main the enemy at, at different times. Psalm 13, we're not given exactly when this is going on. Um, Saul, I've introduced Saul already. That's David's king and supposed mentor who gets jealous of David and tries to kill him. Not a good mentor boss relationship really. That's not a really good one. That's Saul. And what's going on there is Saul represents uh, ultimately even God-established or institutionally established leadership that turns against God's ultimate anointed. Saul, in other words, in the New Testament story, represents the high priest and the religious authorities who reject God's ultimate anointed Jesus. You also have not only Saul, but David's own son, you want to get a little closer to David? David's own son, Absalom, who rebels against him, tries to kill him, tries to take over the kingdom, almost does. So you have Saul, you have Absalom. So you can have somebody who's even from the family who works against God's anointed, somebody that he loves. Well, let's take it a little bit further too. Ahithophel, David's key advisor, who when Absalom leads the revolt against David, turns against and betrays David, Ahithophel. So in the Psalms, when David is talking about, my friend has lifted his heel against me, David's talking about Ahithophel. Guess who Ahithophel is in the New Testament? Jesus tells us at the Last Supper, when he's talking about Judas, he quotes David and says, my friend has lifted his heel against me. Ahithophel is Judas. Ahithophel, Judas, got it? Um, of course, at a different level, we're talking about Satan and death. And you could say, which one is it? And I would say all of the above in different ways at different times. With David, with Jesus, and with us as the church and Christians who follow Jesus. Everything God's teaching us through this, we're supposed to apply in our lives and learn from it. Will the enemy prevail? No. 
So let's keep moving to step number two, movement number two, urgent supplication. This is verses three and four. David asked God to address all three dimensions of the distress. So Christian, let me explain this. We are learning how to pray through this psalm. Okay, we address every different dimension of concern. So David is addressing the concern about God, okay, and God responding to him. David is addressing the concern about his own soul. Don't leave that one out. Do not leave that one out. And then the external circumstances. Most of us just want a quick fix on the external circumstances about the extent of our petition. No, 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 no. Go through in depth what's happening here. Uh, notice the threefold request. Take notice of me, answer me, light up my eyes. Threefold request. N take notice of me, answer me, light up my eyes. And then the threefold rationale. The threefold lest, unless. In the other case, this is what's going to happen. Lest I die, lest my enemy proclaim victory instead of your servant and lest my foes rejoice because I fall. And then we go to movement number three of the psalm. Movement number three of our prayer in times of distress. Affirmation of gospel transformation. Let me make one other note back to part two. This is of interest. David does not ask for the destruction of his enemy. He just asks that his enemy be thwarted which leads us to think this probably for David is directly applying either to his respect for Saul as God's first anointed or maybe to his own son. What do you do when your son's trying to kill you? Do you pray that your son's gonna get killed or thwarted? Pray that your son will be thwarted. But now moving ahead, as I said to part three, affirmation of gospel transformation, verses five and six. In all three dimensions of distress, God moves David, because David has turned to God, from desolation to delight. But you have to understand, the circumstances probably have not changed or not changed much when David is moving to number three here. David is simply, by God's grace, seeing and believing in the valley. When you're still in the valley of the shadow of death, can you see light? If you open your eyes to God, you can. The eyes of faith. That's what's happening here. So in all three dimensions of distress, we move from desolation to delight spiritually in his soul and in his relationship with God. Before, he didn't see God's care. He didn't see God's presence. He didn't see God's face, God's blessing. But now David says that he knows and will know and trust and believes in God's steadfast love. I remember, even though I don't see it all around me, you love me and your love will survive through the darkest times and even death. I'm yours and you claim me in your steadfast love. So David affirms that. That's the central gospel affirmation. That's the gospel right there. And then before his inner soul and heart felt alone and sorrowful, now David's heart and soul 
he says, I will rejoice. Is the party already happening? No way. But he can see, he can see even in the valley, I will rejoice in your salvation. I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but you're going to do it, aren't you? Because your covenant love and your word is sure, so you're going to provide. I know you will, and so I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to start singing even now in the valley, and I'm not just whistling in the dark. I'm going to sing it. I'm going to sing your praises right now. You are my Savior, and I rejoice in you. You're more powerful than Saul, Absalom, and all the foes arrayed against me. You're more powerful than cancer and whatever else I'm facing, bankruptcy. You're more powerful than the worldly kings and rulers and presidents and prime ministers. You're more powerful than them all. I'm going to go ahead and sing to you right now in the valley. And I will sing at the day you deliver me. Before, externally, the enemy seemed unstoppable. Now... David will sing of God's eternal provision and will rejoice in his salvation. God is good all the time. Y'all know that? God is good all the time, all the time, even in the valley, especially in the valley. God is good. Trust in him, believe in him. At the edge of despair, learn how to believe and pray by God's word, by the power of the spirit. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, let us turn to you, trust you, and believe in you always. In Christ's name. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here or watching this worship service now or later, especially those who are in dark times, troubled times, times of questioning everything, that they would turn to you. Oh, my friend, would you turn to the Lord Jesus, your shepherd, right now? Even and especially if you're in a dark valley and believe in him, call out to him. Ask him your hardest questions. And may you see him, his light, and sing of his salvation before you even know it in your flesh. May your soul live with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I invite you to stand and sing our closing hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And now, Christian, follow him, his blessing, his face, his way, his word are with you and in you by his spirit. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face indeed to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace.
now and forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.